This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is the day after, a little bit later than we're normally recording this, as yours truly was on... um, well, it was in South Bend and almost on a plane at normal recording time. Uh, but it was sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the day after... Notre Dame edition comes Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. They are the experts. I'm just the one hanging on by a thread, uh, living on a prayer is more like it this morning, trying to get back to North Carolina. Uh, Buck, I'll come to you first. Uh, I tweeted it during the game at some point. I've seen this movie before, and you and I both have seen that movie on Saturday night more than we care to imagine. Overall thoughts. Well, we were just talking about stats before we became on, went on air, and um, I haven't looked at last year's uh, all the numbers, but for this year, uh, we have come across the one particular movie. We're in like uh, defense collapses number four, you know, basically, um, and it's the same movie every single time. Now, the defense played a lot better against. Uh, Virginia tech than it did against, uh, or in, or than in, in the other three losses, but what's significant about, um, this, this movie we've been seeing is this year. And, and I think for the most part last year, as you can tie almost every single loss into one, uh, f- massive system failure on run defense and run defense just fell apart. 250 yards thereabouts in three of the forces, three of the four losses this year. And then last year, uh, I think most of the losses UNC had, uh, the opponent had over 200 yards rushing as well, but I'd have to go back and look at that. Uh, don't hold me to that just yet, but, um, it is clear that in this particular year in the year of our Lord, 2021, when nobody can stop when UNC cannot stop run defense of the opponent's offense running the ball, they got a real good chance of losing that game. And against Notre Dame, um, what, what was the most disheartening was that even, you know, they had two quarterbacks. One of them is kind of a statue and not known for running the ball. And the other one is more of the quick twitch quarterback runner guy. Even the slow guy, the, the, uh, statue was, you know, running all over the UNC's defense. They couldn't tackle him. They couldn't catch him. How is that even possible? So, uh, yeah, if, and you know, for the rest of it, I think North Carolina has most of the other pieces. They could use a better offensive line. They could use more wide receiver weapons. They could use a little bit more firepower in the, uh, uh, running back room, but for the most part, all of those things ticked against, uh, Notre Dame. They checked all those boxes as far yeah, as production for, goes. For a second there, Buck, I was about to ask you, aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, you're saying, well, well but, they could get better here. They could get, better. but 550 yards, even with, the uh, you know, the, uh, deficiencies that they have on offense against Notre Dame, that's not chicken feed, you know, um, uh, so they've got some pieces. They've, they, this team has got some talented pieces, but none of those talented pieces are going to matter much until they can find out how to stop somebody when they're running the ball. Um, when, when teams load up and just decide to pound North Carolina and run the ball on them, they're going to lose. And that's just what we're living with uh, today. 
and what we've lived with for the most part in all of this year. Yeah, Notre Dame, I don't have stats in front of me. They they doubled their output, I think, on the ground. Um, season output on against Carolina, Kyron Williams was ridiculous. I mean, the run, everybody saw the tackle um, in the middle of the line there on that run. But that run still ridiculous, 91-yard run, and that broke a lot of backs. But, yeah, Notre Dame just did exactly what they did last year. They just leaned on Carolina, leaned on Carolina, get a couple – um, fortunate breaks in terms of flags. And I'll say this, you're not getting calls in Cameron Indoor Stadium and you're not getting calls in Notre Dame Stadium. Don't put yourself in position to have to, to need them. And Carolina did that. Jason, let's talk about the defense. I said we were going to go good, bad, ugly. Well, the defense takes up the bad and the ugly. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people have always said, play the young guys, do this, do that. But like Buck said, it is a system failure consistently with what's going on with Carolina's defense. I don't care about a talent level. They have enough talent not to be as bad as they are on defense. Is that, is that an accurate statement? If so, why? If not, why? Yes and no. So the, the problem is, so they have enough talent to – be better than they have been at different points, but I don't think they have enough experienced talent, which is really what matters to be all that much consistently better than what they've been. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, that has happened coming into this year is, you know, we talk about your expectations, the loss of both storm duck and, and day uh, day, uh, those guys have not been able to contribute. One corner position has been unstable all year because McMichael's struggled there. And, uh, and you look at, you know, Chapman was okay there this, this week, got beat a couple times, but not what they hope to be there. And that given some of the other holes that they've got in terms of the current makeup of the roster, they were really going to depend on being able to, to shut teams down in the passing game and load up against the run. And they haven't been able to do that as much as they'd like. And then you combine that with, I mean, the fact is, and, and I, you know, I posted up a, a, a Kirby smart quote on, uh, on the, uh, the tar pit premium board. We've got a, a long thread going on that right now where I posted how to fix the UNC defense. And basically I posted the following Kirby smart quote. Uh, let me read this real quick. Got to get this up because smart had a, a, a pretty significant comment here. I'm, I keep getting this ridiculous. I got it for you. Pop up. Let me read the quote for you. Kirby smart about what needs to happen for UNC defense to improve guys. If you don't recruit, there's no coach out there who can out coach recruiting. I don't care who you are. The best coach ever to play the game. Better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to outcoach players. Anyone will tell you our defense is good because we've got good players. And I, I, he's absolutely right. Their defense is good. But I just don't think Carolina has as bad of players. You can't convince me that there's not something else that can be done here. So try. I mean, there might be something. There might be something that could be done to get somewhat better results. But – you know, this is interesting because I know Greg Barnes uh, posted in this as well that, well, you know, when Kirby took over year one, they were 35th in the country and in, in scoring defense and year two, they were uh, like seventh or sixth. Right. And so, you know, well, Kirby got them to improve pretty quickly, but here's the trick. The year before Kirby took over, they were eighth in scoring defense. So Kirby took over a program where they were already a top 10 roster in terms of how all this works in terms of, of this. Yeah. Here are the numbers. Uh, Kirby took them from 35th in his first year, 24 points per, per, uh, per game and 36th in yards per play to sixth the next year at 16.4 yards per play and 10th in yards per play allowed 4.69. But the thing is the year before Kirby took over, they were, they were, eighth in scoring defense at 16.9, almost identical to what they were in Kirby's second year. And actually a little bit better in yards per play, uh, just slightly better in yards per play in, in year two 
but almost identical again, 4.76 versus 4.69. So you can say, well, yeah, they, they improved more in, in year two, but the thing that, that, that had to happen was they had to get used to his system, but they already had a 10 year, uh, they already had a top 10 roster. What's happened at Carolina is Mac and Bateman and that defensive staff took over a top 75 defensive roster. I don't think there's any way around that. They right. didn't have talent in the, in the places that are most important. Most specifically, they didn't have a whole lot of talent on the defensive line. I talked to Mac when he first came in. I was, I was at practice when Urban, when Urban Meyer came in and did all of this, and I was on the field listening to those guys talk as well. And Urban's sitting there going, you guys got a pretty good football team here. You got no defensive line, but you got a good football team. And that's basically where they're at. Well, the thing is, defensive line is one of those positions that takes a little while to build. And what we're seeing right now is they haven't finished that building process. They've got one right now that's pretty dang good defensive lineman, and that's Miles Murphy. They got a second that's good player in Vohasic. After those two guys, can you name me a defensive lineman that's made a play this year? Ritzy, maybe. Not many. I think the defensive line had four Ritzy. tackles. Yeah, you know, Ritzy. Yeah. Ritzy has flashed a few times, but he hasn't really he hadn't played over the hump. to do more than flash. Right. He's flashed a few times where you're like, oh, that guy couldn't. He's going to be good down the line. But he also, you know, there are times where it's like, you know, he's clearly a puppy. He's a guy that you look at and you're like, man, he's going to be a problem next year. But again, what do you see next year? Right now, and, you know, I don't want to throw specific players under the bus in terms of just physical stuff, but there are a couple guys who, when I, when I see them on the field, when I saw them on the field yesterday, I knew that Notre Dame was running right there. It's like the ball's going right there. Yep. Because that guy is going to get pushed out of his gap and they're going to run right there. Well, yeah, you can, be, you can be a better defense than that. And you can find ways to cover that over to some degree. But at the end of the day, football and defense comes down to you got to win your matchup. And if you can't, if you can't ma manage to win your gap in run defense, you're just going to get bludgeoned. There's no reason for teams to do anything else. And right now, they're, they're a player or two short on the front seven where or front six, I mean, the way that everybody plays now. They're a player or two short from being able to do what they need to do to control the line of scrimmage. And the margins in college football are razor thin. I mean, all you have to do is look at Clemson, right? Clemson, the last six years, has been untouchable in ACC play. How many losses do they have this year? Three, yep. including two ACC losses. And you're talking about a Clemson team that they, they beat Florida State by like, what, 60 two years ago? They'd have probably beaten them by that much last year, maybe more. I mean, they beat the brakes off those guys. That was a one-possession game on Saturday. Yep. One year different. Exactly the same in terms of 80% of Clemson's roster. They lost two really key players on offense that turned out to matter an awful lot. Actually, three. I'd count Amari Rogers in there. And then they lost their defensive tackle, Brian Brzee, number one overall recruit in the country in the 24-7 composite two years ago. And you're looking at some things that have changed for them to where all of a sudden they go from untouchable to suddenly vulnerable still won the game this week, but the fact that it was that close after what, after the gap that we've seen the last few years, are you kidding? That tells you how razor thin the margins are. North Carolina is not on the margin of like being Clemson say, and then they're where they are. It's the, the margin between being really good talking about 10, 11 wins, good and fighting for a bowl. And again, it's one or two players. 
I mean, I, I still think if you had Storm Duck out there healthy and you had Bo Corrales out there for the offense this year, North Carolina probably right now has one, maybe two losses. Because it, it changes that much. Now, we're playing what ifs. But that stuff matters. And Buck, I know you're looking at me like, I don't know. But I mean, think about what, <laughs> th- what it, think about what a difference a single outside receiver that, that has a great rapport with Sam Howell and a guy that you can just throw some jump balls to think about what a difference that would have made for the offense in the Virginia tech game. For example, where a couple of those jump balls turned out bad. One of them got picked. Think about the difference on some of these. So they're really close on margin, even though they're getting their brains beat in, in certain statistics. Again, I think they're closer than they than than they're than they are far away. There are some big concerns. I mean, I, I think the linebacker play has just killed them this year. You could you, you can see how much they miss Chaz Surratt as an eraser. And we talked about this, you know, we've talked about this before, but they've missed Chad's Chaz Surratt as an eraser of mistakes, first of all, because his speed could erase some problems as a pass rusher, because they haven't been able to rush the passer without him. And just in terms of being able to diagnose and periodically create havoc and get tackles near the line of scrimmage, two of the plays that, that have been mentioned so far to, uh, in this conversation, Tommy, you mentioned the 91-yard run. And, Buck, you mentioned the quarterback taken off, the statue of a quarterback taken off for a 21-yard touchdown. The same player was responsible for both of those plays. The same, here, line, here's, here's, the here's same where linebacker here. was out was out of position, got poor eye discipline, moved out of the way, and then wasn't fast enough to make up for it there. That guy's in position on those two plays. You're looking at uh, probably a four-yard loss on the one and a two-yard gain on the other instead of touchdowns. That's how close things are. Here, here's bad, why mechan- I'm giving bad you, fundamentals and bad eye discipline from the linebacker position. Here's why I'm giving you the hairy eyeball on some of this, okay? <laughs> Is, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I make some of a lot of the same arguments you're making with my friends, people that I text with, I make a lot of those same arguments, but there's one area and I, I led with this, that North Carolina has consistently been the suckitude at, and that is defending a running quarterback or a quarterback that's willing to run. He doesn't have to be good at running the ball. He just has to take off with it on occasion. And North Carolina's defense is screwed. I mean, that, that, that's my complaint. Now, part of, the, part of the reason I'm laughing so hard right now is this is almost verbatim the question that one of the questions that comes into me for my Florida State coverage. I mean, uh, like, uh, like clockwork. And it's come in since what 2007 well yeah but through when they were been, really good everybody it's, it's, struggles with it, it everybody struggles with it but you look at the at the numbers and i went back and looked at the uh the 2020 numbers while a lot of your dissertation was going on <laughs> and uh you know north carolina was losing like i mean the games that they lost you could look at it they were within a stone's throw of giving up 200 yards rushing in every single one of them the games that they won, they did fairly well stopping the run. And it's, it's too much of a pattern there to blow it off as, you know, we need one more player, two more players, if so-and-so wasn't hurt. You know, Notre Dame had Cal Hamilton was out, maybe one of the best safeties in, in, uh, in college football. He's sitting over there on the bench doing nothing, holding the clipboard. Um, NC state who North Carolina will match up with and who will clobber UNC unless North Carolina can get a hold of a running quarterback situation. Um, they got Peyton Wilson and uh, Isaiah. Is it more? I think Mm -hmm. sitting on the sideline over there, everybody has attrition. Everybody loses really good players. Everybody would like to have one or two more five-star players helping them out here and there. But there's a pattern with UNC, and that is if, if you've got a quarterback who doesn't mind getting tackled 
you know, 10 or 12 yards down the, you know, the, um, down the field and he's willing to run the ball, then you've got a great chance of competing with North Carolina. You just, and it doesn't take Lamar freaking Jackson, you know, Jack freaking cone is enough to give UNC problems, uh, with a quarterback run. So other teams, other teams fix this. Uh, I I don't understand why North Carolina can't. Actually, no, I haven't seen a whole lot of teams that have fixed this, frankly. But I do have a question for you. Speaking of Jack Cohn, who would you take in a 40-yard dash? Jack Cohn or Tommy Ashley having stumbled into the uh, Notre Dame Stadium after an entire day of And, and fell into the river that he doesn't know the name of. After right. the <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, after, after all this, so who are you taking in the 40? Jack Cohn or Tommy Ashley? Yeah. Now, remember, I, Tommy I Ashley would, was, was a decent athlete, you know. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to uh, uh, put them both on a digital stopwatch before I put any actual money on it. So You might be, you might be able to use the, one of those non-digital ones with the minute yeah, with the maybe. minute handle, maybe. Or the, the second sundial. hand there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sundial. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Y'all are killing yeah. me. <laughs> Here, here's my issue with the defense, all right? We're talking about a certain player that's messed up and gave up two touchdowns. Well, there's others sitting on the bench, and I know what you say about the young guys. And you can stun them and all that stuff, but let the dogs eat. Let these guys get some run. They got to have experience at some point, and we're going to be having the same conversations next year. Can't play them before they're ready. They'll be. They will be worse next year if you play them now when they're not ready. They will even at this point. Yes, even at this point. We're we're past uh, the bye week. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm just going to say this. Eight games into the season. It, I'm again. So th- th- I've been I've been enjoying the past few weeks watching University of Florida's t- Twitter fans freak out about the quarterback situation down in Gainesville, where Emory Jones has been uh, has been consistently starting games, and then they've got this guy Richardson, Anthony Richardson, AR fifteen, who is a you know he's a, a really talented true freshman. Uh, and he's come in and he, he has flashed some tools now, but he's come in and, you know, more, uh, controlled environments where he can flash those tools. And basically as Florida has struggled this year and, 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 uh, and, uh, did I say Emory Simmons, Emory, uh, uh, Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah Emory Jones. Me. Uh, they got Emory Jones down there, uh, not playing the best at quarterback and they've lost some games. And basically the fan base has been flipping out and you've had media just basically badgering Mullen about why aren't you playing the better quarterback? And Mullen was basically saying, he's not ready for that role. We're playing the guy that's better right now. And finally they started Richardson and their fan base was pretty confident that they put up a better showing against Georgia. And Richardson went out there and looked like a true freshman against Georgia. And looked as he worse, worse as he should, as you as you would expect, right? And looked worse than Jones. Now do Miami's quarterback, right. freshman? Well, and you look at Miami's quarterback. Miami's quarterback when they took when he took over, he cost him three games, really. So you're looking at you're looking at that situation where when these coaches are are, are basically in practice and they're seeing these guys, and I know for a fact that guys like silver and Kedrick and, and, and Bingley Jones. And these guys, this coaching staff wants to play those guys. They would prefer those guys be on the field. They want those guys to take those jobs. If they haven't taken those jobs and they're not playing, the reason they're not playing is because they're not even, they're not close to good enough to be able to take that other guy's job. And if they're not, then what that's going to mean is, first of all, you're going to get worse per, uh, performance in the interim. And if, it, if you're allowing certain bad habits to develop as guys are not quite prepared, then you end up having habits you have to coach around down the line. So, you know, look, if I'm this coaching staff, I'm doing, if I'm on this coaching staff, I'm doing everything in my power to get the younger guys that I know are, are more talented on the field as quickly as I can, because I feel like I can win with those guys more quickly. If I'm not playing those guys, 
it's because I'm confident that that if I play them, it's gonna it's actually gonna be detrimental not only to the present but to their future. And you have to teach these guys how to prepare. You have to get them doing doing things in terms of good habits, in order for them to play. And here's the thing: they're playing a bunch of young guys. They are, but they're playing the young guys that are ready to actually get those reps. I mean, riddle have me you this. Have you seen the snap counts from yesterday? Riddle me this: why is why has uh, why has Ritzy played 17 to 20 snaps basically all season while silver who had the same recruiting rankings coming in hasn't is this actually had a higher ranking but right right yeah he wasn't as ready to play i mean i didn't think so coming out either but i mean his ceiling might be higher but he wasn't as ready to play why is it that ritzy walks through the door and he's playing while silver who came in with the same ratings early enrolled at the same time doing all this. Why is he not playing? Is this a matter of like, well, they just don't want to play young guys. I think Ritzy playing is it's kind of evidence that they would kind of prefer those guys to be on the field. But what that tells you is silver hasn't gotten to the place that Ritzy is at. And I'm telling you this, what, like I said, there are times where you watch Ritzy on the field and you go, Man, he's going to be good, but he's still a puppy. You can see right there. Yeah, still a little bit of a puppy. That cost him a little bit. And so you, you have to work him in and, and, and do it in places where it's going to help the team and help him. I'd rather see a puppy poop on the floor over and over than an old dog that I've taught how to do it right for four years do it. I will say this. From my outside position, there are – three or four guys, I'd say four guys on the defense that I would like to see a younger player take his job next week. And I think that they could be better if that happened. I mean, they would be, if the young guy was even close to as good as that guy right now, I would want that young guy to play because I think in two weeks, they'd be way better. Don't we recall on week nine of last year, Carolina's playing Wake Forest. Wake Forest is up 21 they let the young guys get out there and they play. Well, they, they, they let, they let two young guys get out there who had already been getting a few reps and were really close to ready. And they said, this guy is, is, is not outperforming our freshmen. We're going to give him a chance right now. It may be time to do that. I'm not, I'm not ruling that out. Like I said, there are about four guys on that defense that I would like to see replaced by a younger guy. Right. Like I would like to see young guy take all of his reps. And I think they'd be better. I think they'd be better for it. But again, having been in coaching meeting rooms, I know this discussion where it's like, man, would just such and such just finally be able to, you know, know which gap he's supposed to be in so that I can play him. Because I know the day he knows that he knows his assignment, we're going to be way better than when this senior who, man, I love him with all my heart, but the guy can't play. I just want that guy. To, are you seriously telling me that the coaches would rather Des Lawrence not or uh, De, Des Evans? Jeez, I'm I'm dying here. Uh, would rather Des Evans not be on the field right now? Are you seriously telling me that that with the physical traits that that guy has, that they don't desperately want that guy to make this to make the leap so that he's playing? But guess what? He's not on the field. Another guy from his class is on the field playing in that position because that guy is a better football player right now. 25 can play and he's doing his job with consistency. And you see, again, you go back to the Georgia tech game and I know I'm, I'm, I'm dissertating at this point, but you go back to the Georgia tech game, right? Go back to the Georgia tech game. And, and one of the biggest plays of that game came when Des Evans went in the wrong gap on a blitz. And if he goes in the right gap, it's a sack. Conley gets a clean shot at the quarterback because he went in the wrong gap. Now he and Conley are in the same gap quarterback. Jeff Sims steps up, gets a one-on-one with Asante, eats him alive in the open field and then goes down and scores on a 50 yard run. That's what happens when you play young guys who are not ready. And the thing is they felt like, like Evans was closer to ready. 
He was, they gave, they threw reps at him at the beginning of the year, hoping, please, please, God, will you please make sure that this close to five-star freak of a player, please make it so that he does everything that we would ask of him to do and doesn't cost us 50 yard runs here and there just because he's not doing his job. Please just make it so that he just does his job at like a 80% consistency level so that we don't give up tons of plays. And guess what? How many plays did he have this week? What was it? Seven. You know why? Because they can't trust him. I don't disagree, but like it's I said, frustrating as all get out for, for fans. Cause we want to see that guy play. I want to see that guy play. I know what he looks like. He's one of those first guy, get off the bus guys. I know his talent level. If he plays enough and he's actually assignment sound, he could be a double digit sack guy this year. And if I'm a coach, I'm even more frustrated because I'm praying every night, please, God, give him the wherewithal to do everything right in practice so that I can trust him this week. Every, every night you're going to bed, you're, you're asking your children to pray, pray to God that, that, that these couple players that you know have great talent are finally going to get it and they're going to do their job so that I can play them, so that I can trust them. And I know that they're not likely to give up a 60-yard play as soon as they're on the field. That's I think what we've this plucked is about. all the turkeys off of this, uh, all the feathers off of this turkey. I've Tommy. beaten the heck out of this dead horse. <laughs> I will, uh, yeah, that, dead, that horse is obliterated. I'm going to talk, <laughs> I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Uh, they've got um, gear for everybody, include the new people. They've got new gear, and you can buy new gear and get in the new gear if your old gear is not working for you anymore. Mm. You can new stuff. Mm. Johnny T-shirt, they got baseball, basketball, football. And of course, all the tailgating gear, anything you want, go support them on Franklin Street. Go see them there. Go call them. Um, get online, johnnytshirt.com. Anything they you might need. be the only folks who are more of a tailgating expert than Tommy Ashley. Let me tell you what, I know some boys that we saw on Saturday night and listening to this. They go to Johnny T shirt, they love some Inside Carolina too. And so does Johnny T-shirt. And you get 10% off your order if you're a premium subscriber. Hmm. And why wouldn't you be? I mean, just get all this. I want to see the breakdowns, Jason. That's going to be worth my 10 bucks this month. Anyway, support them. Let the national like, guys... like you, like you pay 10 bucks. Hey, I do. <laughs> this is 10. You surely bucks aren't paying time. him for this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we got to, we got to let national guys pay the bills. Come back day after Notre Dame edition. Hey guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor each batch is in triple filtered giving it a smooth clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite guys i've been using it recently with some soda water fruit juice little lime juice it's great for tailgates it's light it's smooth and it's an award-winning premium vodka from north carolina local and family owned and it's available once again in all 100 counties so head to your local abc store to check out blue shark vodka Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, boys, uh, it's the day after podcast here on Inside Carolina. I'm going to get real serious for a minute. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, I got Buck and Jason Staples. Buck, you want to know what's more frustrating to me than watching a defense give up plays over and over again? It's frustrating. I, I, could, I can guess. I, Not I'll much. take a guess. No, I, I think I've got a guess. Take a guess. It's really stupid penalties. Stupid penalties and stupid game management. Oh, don't know, man. Oh, man. The game management in this game. Don't get me started on that one. 
ah, look, but we're about to get – if Jason Staples gets paid oh, by the word, we're going in debt at Inside yeah. Carolina. Yeah, I'm telling you. They've got a clock management specialist for the – a game management specialist, and oh, I, I don't know. Stealing even, money, I'll say I'm it. muting myself. I'm muting my – Buck, well, you can talk about the stupid penalties. You know, I'm not as – the penalties drive me insane as well, but I mean, they kind of are what they are. I thought Don Chapman got, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. All go right. ahead. No, you go ahead. I thought Don Chapman's pass interference call on him effectively ended the game. Um, and it's one of those calls where, you know, maybe the little leprechaun ran out there, but we've seen it before, but yeah, tell me, tell me why penalties are your thing. Well, in this particular game, especially, uh, I thought, that, you know, North Carolina had the lead early in the third quarter. They were four points down, headed into the fourth quarter. And still, even with a minute and 37 seconds left, uh, they were still just one score down. So the with everything that went wrong in this game and the inability of the defense to stop the run and game management issues and this and that and the other, uh, one turnover, uh, giving up a long, um, punt return, those kinds of things. If they had just gotten the penalty thing, right, which you're probably not going to get in South Bend, you're probably not going to get that in South Bend, but, uh, they had a chance to end a drive forced Notre Dame to punt. Uh, they, they shot themselves in the foot multiple times. They had nine penalties to Notre Dame's five. That's like double. Okay. They had twice as many penalties as Notre Dame had. If they get that one thing, right. If they button up that one area, you know, they might've come out of South Bend, out of South Bend as a winner. I mean, it, it wouldn't have taken, they don't have to fix everything to have beaten Notre Dame on. Saturday night, last night. Just a little well, attention to detail on some specific A little things. attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have come out uh, possibly, conceivably, they could have come back, brought that win home. And attention those to things, detail. Those things. Those things. Bucks, bucks on, his, bucks on his dissertation. Go, Buck. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm basically going to close out by saying that because I, I see – uh, a hint of a light of uh, recognition in both of your eyeballs when I, I talk about that thing, that attention to detail that needs to be there that's not, right? So um, that's where I'm going with it. And now stay tuned for uh, Jason Staples' 30-minute monologue on the, se- on the subject. <laughs> I'm getting in here first. Okay. Uh, the attention to detail, who's it on? It's you get what you allow head coach. It starts at the head coach because this is attention to detail at the, on the defensive side, on the offensive side and in special teams and in game management and clock management. Come on. This is attention to detail across the board. that is not good enough. And that, and Jason, I'll let you go on for more, but that is, is an observer of the program. That is what is most concerning. It's not the talent level. The talent level is going to be there. It's not a lack of execution once in a while or a lot. It is the attention to detail to the stuff that it's not that difficult to get under control. And, and, and what's frustrating not. is, as I just walked through, uh, this game was tight. Yep. I mean, it could have been tighter, but you're, you're talking about you. They had to lead in the third quarter. They're down by four. They could have tied it up again, but they were forced to kick a field goal there. Um, and you know, that they're still only trailing by one score all the way to the the final minute of the game. And so you don't have to fix everything, you know, fix a few things and and you could have made a, a big difference. And last week against Notre Dame in South Bend, you might would have made a difference and brought uh, won a game that you ultimately lost. So. And it's and, the same and, stuff over and over and over again. And it is, it is. And, and, and again, what I was referring to in terms of just a guy being out of a gap or this or that, some of that's personnel. 
No question. As I said, there are certain situations where I know if that guy's in the game and he's in that spot, their teams are running there. That's true. That's happening. On the flip side though, going back to what we talked about uh, before Tommy, in terms of, uh, of Mike and I breaking down offensive line stuff, that's attention to detail on just base technique on basic stuff from stance to, to basic fundamentals on the kick, basic fundamentals on hand placement, basic fundamentals on not, on not lunging all these things. And like you keep saying, you get what you allow, you get what you tolerate. What's happening to me, the systemic problem that I see, and this is a coaching issue. And this is why I was saying it's a both and kind of thing. It's like a, well, sort of, when you ask your first question about can this defense, you know, shouldn't this defense be better? Yeah. Could they do anything to make this defense better? Yeah. Probably not schematically, but if every position coach were that much more intolerant of small detail mistakes that have to be happening in practice and certainly are happening in games, there's your fix, your more immediate fix, other than just upgrading talent. When you're seeing linebackers consistently have poor eye discipline and over-pursue and then allow cutbacks, like on that 91-yard run. When you see linebackers stepping up on, on the run play, kind of skipping forward with their, with their feet with false steps, that's just straight-up stuff that you should be drilled. You should be drilling out of those guys every day. When you see off the offensive line making some of the technique mistakes that they make, when you see receivers making some of the technique, these are things that are tolerated. So you get that stuff. This is attention to detail. But beyond that, what you were talking about, Buck, they were down one score, all this. They shouldn't have even been down one score because you just go single game management thing. End of the first half. You have a third year starter at quarterback who has, who decides with, uh, what, 22 seconds on the clock with no timeouts. He breaks contain in the pocket, has every opportunity to throw the ball away or to just you know put it in a position where maybe, maybe one of his guys in the end zone has a crack at it way up in the air. And if not, it's in the third, third row of the seats. And now you get three shots at the end zone before you kick, you know, you, uh, or at least two shots at the end zone before you have to kick a field goal. He decides to run runs 11 seconds off the clock. Now you're at seven seconds. Attention to detail would say that the average play in college football takes just over four seconds. And if you're going to run some sort of jump ball or that sort of thing into the end zone, that is expected to take between three and five seconds. There's seven seconds on the clock. This is a catch, throw it up, give your guy a chance. Why do you kick a field goal with seven seconds left? So you have a third-year quarterback who somehow hasn't had it intolerantly drilled through his head that you don't scramble there, that, you, that, you, that the time is worth more than the extra five yards. Then you have a coaching staff that decides, yeah, you know, scoring touchdowns is cool, and it would be nice to have a chance at that, but you know what's better is just kicking a field goal with a couple extra seconds left on the clock. Yep. Well, fourth, and a half, fourth and a half yard to go on your own 27 with under 11 minutes left in the game. If you can't get that half yard, you're losing the game anyway. You need to be able to get under center and quarterback sneak it for a freaking half yard, keep the ball, and then go down and score. Instead, they punt. And now they're no longer down four, right? Yeah, so over and over ball. again, some of these, some of these things, it, kicking, a, kicking a PAT down eight. Now you're down eight. Like what? These are things that are unforced management errors that are just boiling down to detail stuff. And again, you're, you've got a guy who's supposed to be making sure you make the right calls on these things end of the game you're down by 10 
kick a field goal. I was screaming, just kick, kick a field, field goal. goal. Exactly. Your only shot here, you, literally your only shot is to kick a field goal, get an onside kick and get a, and, and complete a Hail Mary. Even if you score a touchdown and then you get the onside kick, you're not going to have the time to kick the field goal because you're going to be kicking it from like 70 yards. <laughs> I mean, they, these are, these are not hard decisions. And again, all of this to me is a matter of attention to detail that is really frustrating to see. And again, it's, it's through the whole, it's both sides of the ball. It's in special teams, it's in game management. So let no one say that I'm not blaming coaches here. I, I think, you know, the coaching staff needs to wear the fact that they are fighting for their bowl life after starting the season in the, in the top 10. They need to wear that. But it's not as simple as, well, you've got more talented guys on the sideline and you need to play those guys. You're not going to get better from those guys. And it, you might get worse, probably you're going to get worse, and you might make them worse. And it's definitely not as simple as, well, you need to fire your coordinators and, and you know, get better schemes in there. Nobody else is running better schemes. The play calling and the schemes are not the problem. But you got all these other problems that are exacerbated by some holes in personnel, and there you go. Yeah, that, that is the most concerning thing for me is that kind of stuff. It's not, like I mentioned earlier, it's not the players messing up. I'm, I tend to side with the players on it. And, you know, Sam Howe played his ass off. Um, you know, a couple – that play, yes, but, I mean, the guy had been – beaten up all game long he made doing two everything big mistakes. he could and, and two he, big mistakes and and the rest of the game is amazing yep and, and so that that's tolerable <laughs> to put it lightly but to my point i, I don't hear your thoughts because you're the you you're the long-term expert here that's the issue that i see that's the problematic thing i'm not concerned um, or if you're a Carolina person, not concerned about talent level, that's going to be there. But all this other stuff is cannot keep happening because even if Carolina has the best talent in the country, if you have these attention detail issues, you have these time management issues, it's going to get you beat in a big game. And it's not going to have anything to do with talent at that point. What sayeth you, Buck, so we can wrap this, this uh, bundle of joy? I, I think uh... – there's a lot of things that can go on when you're engaged in an athletic endeavor or any endeavor, regardless. And, and one of the things that can drag down performance, whatever you're attempting to do are distractions. And I think this team has had its share of distractions that, uh, have prevented it from focusing on some of the, uh, attention to detail kind of things that, uh, might would have made a difference. Uh, the Heisman campaign for Sam, Howe. that was, that's a distraction. You can't think of it as anything other than that. Um, in a lot of ways, the top 10, some, uh, people saying that they're CFP worthy, you know, in, in 2021, uh, different kinds of things. See, uh, accolades that Mac Brown has gotten on the recruiting trail, <coughs> which he's getting again this year has focused a lot of attention on North Carolina. And you can believe that their rivals have, uh, has, have been paying attention to that stuff. And so. I'm not going to excuse anybody or give anybody a pass on any of this stuff, but you know, from personal experience and just watching other people attempting to do things to, to play at the level that North Carolina wants to play. And I, I believe ultimately we'll have the talent to play at that level. You have to have tremendous focus. You have to be focused on what it is you're trying to accomplish and what it is you're trying to get done. And I, I just don't think North Carolina is there yet when, and that's players, coaches, everybody involved in terms of focusing on, uh, 
the simple things, the tax at hand, game management, penalties, all that sort of thing. Focus on that, and I think they'll be fine. Um, other than that, I've got no words of uh, wisdom for you. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, something's got to change. We didn't talk about it. Something I was going to mention, though, before we get out of here. And, Jason, if you have a follow, please share it. But go back and look at Notre Dame pre their bye week and since their bye week and see what happened and see how the difference they've played. Um, so changes can be made. Um, you don't have to completely junk everything, but tweaks and coaching staffs can make changes uh, that greatly affect how young men play the game. Uh, this has been fun. It's been a little different um, doing it cooled off and not right after on Sunday morning, but we'll get back to that. Who, who is cooled off? Cooled off. Yeah, this is cool. We're chill tonight, drinking <laughs> nice glass of ice water and uh, all that stuff. And Sunday evening, the Braves are exploded in the top of the first, it looks like, or in the early innings. But, yeah, we're going to get back at it because Carolina and Wake Forest, the underdog Wake Forest, coming to Keenan Stadium at Take noon. Take the on. over. <laughs> Hammer the over and the Deacons, I would think, at this point. But it'll be interesting to watch. And, of course, this crew will be back on Sunday. Uh, to talk about it at the day after gentlemen it's been fun as always guys yep rate us review us subscribe johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com like us on youtube you get to see our pretty faces on the youtube stream mm. be good be well okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.